Hi, everyone. It is great to be back at Din and Daf with you. Thank you so much for joining. I'm Alana Steinhain. And what we do here at Din and Daf is we spend about a half an hour conceptualizing an idea, a concept, a principle in halakha through a case study from the Daf this week. The case study that we're going to look at is a little bit strange because in the Daf this week, we saw kind of the opposite of the general principle. But from the opposite of the general principle, we're going to get to the general principle. The general principle is as follows. If somebody tells me to do something wrong and I do it, I'm still culpable. I can't say, oh, well, that person told me to do it. That person appointed me to do it as their shlicha. Uh-uh-uh. We do not say that just following orders is a legitimate way to get out of punishment. You do the wrong thing you get the punishment. You have to pay the compensation. You're the person who is chayevet. Now, in our daf this week, we actually saw one of the exceptions to that rule. And that is an exception that relates to what you've been learning about this whole time in the seventh parak, which is seventh parak of Babakama, in case somebody's just coming in, in the middle of this, which is a person who steals an animal and then slaughters it or sells it, right? They steal the animal they owe double, but if they slaughter it or sell it, they owe arba'a v'chamisha. Now, what happens if the person who steals the animal gives the animal to somebody else to slaughter it for them or gives the animal to somebody else to sell it? It happens to be that this is one of the rare cases where we actually do say that it is the original thief who has to pay dollar pay. That's not usually the case. So it's a little bit, we're coming in through the back door for but that is on Daf Ayin Aleph. It is one of the few exceptions to the rule of Ein But I want to talk about Ein and I want to set a little bit of a background. Number one, I want to point to the fact that Ein stands out in stark relief to the general principle, um, which is that if somebody appoints a shaliach or a shlicha to do something for them, to accept something for them, to give something on their behalf, we generally say it is as though the person who sent them is has done the thing themselves. Now, there may be a conversation about, are there certain things where we say, that it's better for the person themselves to do it than to send the shaliach. But the general principle and the default is that if a shaliach or a shlicha does something for you, it is as though you yourself did it. So ain't shaliach litvar avera is actually an exception to that rule. And what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time understanding the logic behind ain't shaliach litvar avera, even though, as I, as I said, in the case of person A being gonevet and person B being mocheret, we do say yeh shaliach litvar avera. The general principle is Ein So I want to look at the logic that is offered in the Gemara in Kiddushin for Ein and think about some of the hashlachot, some of the ramifications of that logic. So I'm going to share my screen. So here's what you had in Baba Kama, Ayin Bet to Ayin Tet Aleph, telling you that Ein doesn't apply in the case of Ganav A giving to uh, you know, uh, the slaughterer B. But in the context of a conversation generally about we find a backing 
um, or an explanation for the din of Let's take a look. And you may notice this, uh, this source may be familiar to you because it is actually quoted Mishnah that you learned a few weeks ago on Bavakama Nuntet Amudbet. If somebody sends an item that can cause fire in the hands of somebody who is not considered responsible in the eyes of the law because they are either deaf mute or because they are mentally incoherent or because they are a minor, that person who sent them, the sholeach, is not going to have to pay compensation based on the ruling of a human court because they didn't do the damage with the fire directly. They did it indirectly by giving it to someone, but they're going to be chayav b'dinei shamayim, but they are still going to be obligated to pay the damages based on divine law. Now that's not something that the court can prosecute, but it still indicates some sort of culpability on the part of the sholeach. Now, we gave a shear on this. This was the first shear of Din and Daf. If you want to look that up um, about Dine Shamai, please feel free to check that out. But it's really the second half of the Mishnah that's going to interest us here, which is Shilach Biyad Pikeach, Pikeach Chayav. If somebody, if a Sholeach, if a Sholachat sends that fire causing item in the hands of somebody who is considered completely um, responsible, an adult, responsible under the eyes of the law, mentally coherent, right? The pikeach is chayav, meaning it's not the sholeach who's chayav to pay the damages. It's their shaliach because what we're about to see. Vamai, why are we saying that the person who was handed the thing that causes fire and then went to do it on someone else's behalf should have to pay the damages? Why don't we say a person's shaliach is like themselves. Maybe the sholeach, maybe the sholachat should be the one who is chayevet to pay the damages. And the Gemara says, no, no, no. Shiny hatam to ain shaliach devar avera. This is different. We say that there is no such thing as a shaliach for a devar avera. This bikeach who burnt someone's stuff with a fire that they got from a sholeach can't say, oh, well, I was only doing it because they gave it to me. No, ain shaliach devar avera, Right? Therefore, the pikeach is chayav to pay. And now the logic that the Gemara suggests is what interests me very much. De amrina, because we say, divrei harav divrei mi shomim. If you have the instruction of the master, meaning the teacher, and the instruction of a student that contravenes the teacher, who should you be listening to? In other words, it makes perfect sense to say because if there is a standing or there's a standing prohibition to damage somebody else's property, then if some human being tells you to go against that prohibition, that's who you're listening to? What about listening to God's standing prohibition, right? Right? Who should you actually be listening to? Now, it is possible that this is not the only explanation for where um, comes from. The Gemara and Kedushin actually continues and works off of examples, biblical examples, to try to prove that that's how we know that And in fact, it's kind of interesting the way that the Gemara does it because 
you know, you would think that the Gemara would just find like a Pusuk somewhere or an example somewhere that proves Anshalich with Varavira, but that's not what the Gemara does first. What the Gemara does first is it finds three exceptions in the Torah where Yeshalich with Varavira. One of them is our example of the Ganav giving the animal to somebody else to shaft and says that those three are the exceptions that prove the rule. In those situations, Yeshalich with Varavira, everywhere else, Anshalich with Varavira. And only then does the Gemara say, oh, it's also possible that there's an example in Torah that suggests angel It's from a situation where somebody slaughters an animal for that's kachim outside of the precincts of the temple, and the Gemara says that that nefesh is going to get karet, right? Implying only the one who does it, even if somebody else sent them to do it, still doesn't matter. The one who gets punished is the one who actually did it. So it's not clear whether these attempts to find psukim to um, source is something that is at odds with this logic that's been offered of or if maybe the logic of is the logic that is behind the psukim, right? So are these two different situations where we say one is saying the only source for which would imply that if you can find an exceptional case where you wouldn't make the argument then you actually wouldn't say and we'll actually see a couple of cases in a minute. Um, whereas if you learn it from Sukkim, maybe it's a Xerata Katuv, and no matter what, even if you found a situation where the logic of Divri Rav, Divri Atalma, Divri Mishomin wouldn't make sense, you would still say right? But it's not clear. It's not clear. I actually want to work within this notion of Divri Rav, Divri Atalma, Divri Mishomin, not because I necessarily think that it's the only way to understand um, the parameters of um, and that the Xerat HaKatov root doesn't work, but because I actually think it's interesting to to consider that maybe is the logic even behind the psukim um, that are found to try to help us understand as Xerat HaKatov So let's say we work within this logic of there's a master, there's a student, God, human beings, who should you be listening to? If you're listening to the wrong one, you're culpable, right? But what I want to do is I actually want to think a little bit more about this principle and ask what, what we can tease out of it, meaning what it can give us in terms of understanding this whole world of ancient Yehudvaravera. And so I want to look at two um possible situations where we might say, hmm, somebody sent a shaliach to do something bad, but I don't think that should apply here, okay? One of these examples and cases is going to be about the shaliach not being able to charge the shaliach, why didn't you listen to Divrei Harav? Why did you listen to Divrei Talmud? And the other is going to be a situation where the mishaleach 
or the sholeach could not make the argument. In order to exempt themselves from having the punishment. Let's take a look. So the first example where it seems that might not apply would be if the shaliach didn't know that what they were doing was wrong. They didn't know. They're an unwitting accomplice, right? You can think of plenty of examples of, of this kind of thing in regular life, right? You conveniently take advantage of somebody not knowing all of the facts of a situation to enlist their help in continuing to cover your tracks or continuing to in, um, ensure that what you're trying to do will come to fruition. And the example that is offered is actually, interestingly enough, an example, I should say the example that's offered by the Rishonim of a case of Shogig, where person A said to person B, do thing X, but person B did not know that thing X was a problem. Do we say, and we still punish person B? Or do we say, well, doesn't really apply here. It's not like we think person B should have known better. Person B didn't know that they were doing a sin. You can't punish them for doing something that they didn't know was problematic. And so the example that's brought by the um, by Tosvot actually is from a Mishnah in Babakama, which is on the very same Amud, Ayin Tet Amud Aleph, later on the page, right? It's on the very same Amud as the Gemara that we uh, looked at before or spoke about before about Gan of A, Shochet B, being an exception to Inshallah Chodavarvira. So the Mishnah gives you the following case. Also, Gan of A, somebody B, but let's talk about the somebody B. What happens is I stole an animal and I decided that I was going to be able to launder it. How is it going to launder it? There I am. In the Rashut Bali, I am actually on the property with the animal of the animal's original owner. And I see a Kohen and I say, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I really want to give you this animal as redemption of my firstborn son. And just, I want you to take the animal and walk out of here. Brilliant, right? That's our money laundering, animal laundering 101. So if that happens, right? Let's say that happens. Do we hold the Kohen responsible for anything there? The Kohen didn't know that I was giving him someone else's animal. Let's assume he doesn't know whose estate we're on. He thinks that the animal is mine. So essentially, he's helping me carry out a theft without knowing it, right? So the Baal Tosfot and Kiddushin Ben Ben Amadbet essentially say, we do not think that this should be angel We do not think that this Kohen should be punished. In a situation where the would-be shaliach or shlicha is shogig, they don't know that what they're doing is a problem. They don't know all the facts of what's going on here. It doesn't make sense to say, we're going to slap you with the punishment because you should have listened to God instead of listening to this person. 
they didn't know they were doing anything that contravenes Torah, right? This is what it sounds like also in the chapter, chapter seven of Bavakama that you're learning. Dika Amar, which says, somebody who stole a lamb from within its flock, and said to a Kohen, take this uh, lamb that's mine, or gave it to somebody, gave it to that Kohen and said, I want to redeem my firstborn child with this. And showed the Kohen somebody else's lamb, right, to take. Umesik and the Gemara concludes that immediately when the Kohen takes the animal out of the domain of the original owners, it's the Ganav, it's me. It's the Ganav who actually is Chayav to pay in that situation, not the Kohen, not my Shaliach. The Hiksha Rabbeinu Yitzchak and Rabbeinu Yitzchak, one of the Baliatos who asked, he challenged, Why should the Ganav be obligated to pay for this? We should say there's no Shaliach Litzvaravera. So whatever the Kohen did is the Kohen's fault and he's going to have to pay. Viti reads and he answered, since the Kohen didn't know that this came from theft, it doesn't make any sense to ask the Kohen, you know, why are you listening to this mere mortal who's trying to contravene God's word when it's against God's word? He doesn't know that he's doing anything wrong. And I love, love, love this example because, again, it, it is a machloket among the Rishonim, whether we should say, no, 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 Inshallah de Baravira still applies here because Divrei Rav, Divrei Atamid, Divrei Mishomin is not the only reason for Inshallah de Baravira. It's Exerat HaKatov. But I find this very, very compelling. The suggestion that how could you possibly, how could you possibly um, obligate somebody for doing something that they thought was totally legitimate? And I think it's worth thinking at this point about people who take advantage of other people's, I don't want to say ignorance because this isn't ignorance. It's just in this case, the Kohen doesn't know, right? But there's a there's a real question here of exploiting people who only know part of the story and how we look at those people and say, we're not going to allow them to be exploited by this gun. And at the same time, I wonder what the threshold would be. At what point would we say the Kohen should have known or should have checked out the situation, right? Meaning this is a big question in general when we ourselves become um, accessories to things that may be unjust, wrong, because we don't know what's actually going on. And I think the question of whose responsibility is it to know what's going on? Does that depend more on what's possible to know? Or does that depend more on just in general, with whom do we lay the blame? And it seems right here that it's both a situation where it would be difficult for the Kohen to know. And also we are conditioned to believe a person who says, here, this is mine, right? And we are more comfortable laying the problem and the blame at the Ganav's feet. So this would be one of those situations where 
because of the logic of divrei rav v'divrei hatam mid divrei mishomin, we would say here's a case where you can't use that logic, and therefore we would say yesh shaliach l'divrei The kohen is just the shaliach of the ganov, and it's the ganov who has to pay. There's another example where divrei rav divrei hatam mid divrei mishomin may also not be relevant, but it comes from the side of the sholeach, or the sholachat. And that is the following. It is possible that the logic of divrei rav, divrei atam, and divrei mishomen is not just a logic that explains why we make the sholeach chayev. It also may be a logic that explains why we make the sholeach pater. It also may be a logic that explains why we make the sholeach pater. What do I mean? The sholeach or the sholachat says, what do you mean? I didn't think this person was going to listen to me. I told him to do something that was blatantly usher. I didn't think they were going to listen to me. Huh. Why are you blaming me? Don't make me obligated. I don't have to pay any compensation for any of this. I never thought they would go through with it. Interesting. If that is actually part of the logic of of getting the sholachat off the hook, are there situations where that doesn't seem to apply? And in fact, there is another conversation in the Rishonim, in Tosfot actually, about that very thing. And the conversation is, I guess, in the following context. If we have an idea that a person could do something that's wrong, but not prosecutable in a human court, but not is it possible that somebody who is a sholeach, who sends someone else to do an avera, might also be Maybe we don't prosecute them in the human court. We don't punish them in the human court. We don't make them pay in the human court. That we leave for the shaliach because they're not really a shaliach. They're really an independent person who should have done what they were supposed to do. But is it possible that we might say that the shalacha should be chayevet because they did something bad, right? And so that's the discussion that Tosfet are having. And within that discussion comes this question of, well, hmm, maybe there's a situation in which the sholachat should have realized that of course this person was going to do what they said. They can't make that argument, well, I didn't think they would listen to me because let's take a look. Okay. So the Gemara, or I should say Tosfo rather, is going back to the conversation on Nun Vav Amaralf, also in that first year on Dine Shemaim, which was what happens if a person hires two people to be a De Sheker, to give false testimony. And we said in such a case, a person is Chayab Dine Shemaim, but Pater Midine Adam. They cannot be prosecuted in. Uh, an earthly court, but they are still culpable in the divine court. So Tosfot say the following. 
Vidavka Socher, it's specifically a person who hires people to be false witnesses, who is Chayev B'dinei Shemayim. Aval Amar, but if the person only said, I want you to go give false testimony, meaning just try to be Sholeach, then Pater Mitineshamai. Then that person is exempt even from the heavenly court. Why? Because the person figured they're not going to listen to me, right? In other words, if there's a situation in which I can't credibly say I didn't think that they would listen to me, like if I gave people money to um, testify falsely, that is where we will say, even though I am not chayevet in an earthly court, I'm still chayevet bedine shamay. But if it's just a regular situation of I said, hey, go give false testimony, I'm not even chayevet bedine shamay because I can say, tiver rav, tiver atalmi, tiver mishomen. They shouldn't have listened to me. I never thought they were going to listen to me. Don't be ridiculous, right? So this is kind of an interesting, um, it's kind of an interesting exception because what it's basically saying is the degree to which a shaleach or a shalachat can deny culpability is parallel to the degree to which they can deny that they had serious influence on these people. So if I can deny that I had serious influence on these people, because all I said was go give false testimony, then I can also argue, come on, they shouldn't have listened to me. I never thought they were going to listen to me. But if I can't really credibly say I have little influence on them because I actually gave them money, I actually gave them motivation to do this, then when you come back to me and say, hey, why did this person do it? I can't just say to you, oh, well, I didn't think they were going to listen to me, so I can't be culpable at all. So instead, I'm going to be culpable b'dinei shamay. I'm still not going to be culpable b'dinei adam, but I'm going to be culpable b'dinei shamay. So it's kind of an interesting um, kind of middle uh, middle ground. So our two yotzim minaklal are two situations where don't apply. The first one is when the shaliach, would-be shaliach, with shogig was unwitting because you can't put the onus on that person that they made the wrong decision. They didn't know that they were doing anything wrong. And our second example is where the shaliach did something that made it very motivating, enticing, um, and obvious that even though they probably were going to listen to the Talmud because there was something in it for them. And the argument is that in both cases, either shouldn't apply at all, or even with we still want the Sholech or the Sholechah to be Chayav B'dinei Shammai. I want to add one last thing before we go, because now that we're on the topic of whether the sholachat should be chayevet b'dinei shamayim in general, because I think that's actually 
the least intuitive aspect of Angel of Varavira. I think it's very easy to say, yeah, of course, Angel of Varavira, the person who did the Masa Avira, should be punished. But it seems very strange to let the Shalach or the Shalachat get off scot-free, right? So we saw Tosfat say, okay, there are some situations where we don't let them get off scot-free. We're going to say they're Chayab Dinei But the Shach, actually the Sifte Kohen, 17th century Europe, no Kalim on the Shulchan Aruch, the Shach, actually says even more broadly, he thinks they're always, the Sholachat is always Chayevet B'dine Shemayim. Let's take a look um, at what he says. And with that, we will end. He says, Nearly Ikar, it seems to me, to le'olam Chayevet B'dine Shemayim, hechadigorim hezek l'chaveru. A person should always be Chayevet B'dine Shemayim if they cause um, damage to somebody else, right? The English translation of Chayevet B'dine Shemayim is Chayevet B'dine Shemayim. That's what we just learned. Even if you didn't hire the false witnesses. Let's see. Really? Even if you didn't hire the false witnesses? That seems strange. In fact, it's more than strange because we even have examples. We looked at the Mishnah from Nuntet Amabed in Bavakama and saw that if you send a, an item that can cause fire, with a pikeach, then the pikeach has to pay compensation. Doesn't say anything about the sholeach being chay b'dine shemayim, right? So the shach has to answer that. And the fact that the Mishnah in Bavakama says, somebody who sends an item that can cause fire in the hands of a pikeach, somebody who's a legally responsible adult, the legally responsible adult is the one who's chayev to pay compensation. And it doesn't say anything that the sholeach should be chayev b'dinei shamayim, which earlier in that same Mishnah, it mentioned a chayev b'dinei shamayim. If it applied here, they would say it. So the shach says, now let me explain. I knew that's only because keivan de pikeach mishalim, because the pikeach who did the damage is going to pay the money to lo shayach dinei shamayim ala mishalach. There is no Dine Shamayim left. Dine Shamayim is for who's responsible to compensate, right? And because somebody is already compensating for the damages, that's why the person who sent them is not Chayab Dine Shamayim. Doesn't mean they didn't do something wrong, but it certainly does mean that in a situation where either nobody's paying the damages or it's not about paying damages, but it's about something else, the sholeach or the sholachat would always be chayabedine shamayim. So what we looked at here essentially was not accepting the excuse of, well, somebody else told me to do it, except in a few cases that the Torah spells out, one of those cases being a situation where somebody stole an animal, gave it to somebody else to slaughter, and that's only because of a uh, because of the way that the Pasuk itself is worded. But then we looked at the logic behind why is it that we don't ex, um, accept the idea that a person might say, well, somebody else put me up to this. And we saw that the logic possibly is about both the shaliach really being guilty for doing the wrong thing. They should have known better not to listen to a person, but to listen to God's law. And it's also potentially about the sholeach being able to have plausible deniability of, 
I didn't think they'd listen to me. Who would listen to me and go against Torah law? And using that logic, we saw two examples where maybe that logic doesn't seem to apply, either because the situation was that the shaliach was shogeik and didn't know all of the situation, all of the background details, and therefore didn't know that they were transgressing divrei harav, or the situation was where the shaliach did more than just say, "Hey, go do this transgressive thing." The shaliach added incentives like money. And therefore, the shalech can't say, I never thought they would listen to me because after all, who would break the law this way? You paid them, right? And then we end with the question of general culpability of the shalech in a situation of ancient Shalech Devarvera, noting that it seems that the Baleatos vote are not willing to suggest that the shalech is always chayab b'dinei shamayim, only in the cases where they had that special motivation and ancient Shalech doesn't apply. Whereas the shach basically says any time there is a transgression and the um, either the compensation is not going to be paid by someone else or it's not about compensation, but it's about punishment, there is always that chiyuv b'dinei shamayim for the shalech. So let that be a lesson to all of us. Try not to be someone's shalech l'dvaravera and try not to be shalech somebody l'dvaravera. Thanks.